You're listening to a sermon preached at Redeeming Life Church. You know, I got up this morning and I follow a few churches and I've become friends with some pastors and so I was drinking coffee and scrolling through Facebook and usually that just reminds me to pray for the other churches we partner with because I follow them and I see their live streams kicking up. There's one particular live stream that, that is over no matter how early I'm going to wake up, it's going to be over before I get up because it's in Poltova, Ukraine. And this morning, it really caught my attention that all of the people that were sitting there, and it was kind of dark. First of all, it's amazing that <laughs> it's amazing there's a live stream and you can see a video in Ukraine where there's a war going on. At the same time, though, it did catch my attention that they were all wearing giant parkas and stocking caps, and unlike my son, they were not trying to make a fashion statement. They were just (laughs) trying to stay warm. I wondered to myself, how many of us would show up if we had to send out a message that said, you know, the heat system is out because a drone plane killed the power core. I hope to see you at church this morning. I wonder how many of us would show up. So it was really um, a good reminder for me this morning, even in light of our various tech problems, and I don't like this coffee, and what about that, and I hate that I get caught on all the red lights on the way here, and what on and on we complain, and yet God's people are still gathering around the world in war-torn countries where there's no heat to praise our Savior. And so let us just remember that, and be thankful for what we do have this Thanksgiving season, because it could be very different for us. If you have your Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, start making your way, please, if you'd like to read along with me, to Romans chapter 7. We're continuing in our series, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 25. If you have the app, again, how awesome is technology? You can go to the Version app and pull that up and follow along with, with all the scripture. Let's go ahead and read God's word together. Now, I hope, I do hope indeed that you are following along. I think it'll be on the scripture on the screen, given our uh, technological ability. And uh, let's just let's just take a moment and let's really hear from the inspired word of God. Romans chapter seventeen, starting in verse fourteen, says, "For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin." For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, And taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. 
there's a lot here. I think we certainly need to turn to the Lord and ask him to show us with clarity what he would have for us. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to understand with clarity your word this morning. Lord, I think we can relate to the feeling that Paul is showing us here in, in your word. Help us, Lord, to learn from this and grow from it. And God, I do ask that we would be transformed by it, even if little by little, that you would continue to use your word as we look at it and we hear it to sanctify us, God, and to transform us more and more and more into the likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you're one of those Christians who feels like you're barely hanging on, like, man, I, I just don't, I don't know. You feel like that sin just keeps getting the better of you. You feel like you're stumbling, you're struggling, or maybe you have that one reoccurring sin that you just cannot seem to get away from. It feels like it has a chokehold on you. I hope that today is your day. I've been praying for us. Uh, I hope that that this text may in some way speak for you because or speak to you because this text might really uh, be for you this morning. Because Paul gets really transparent. We don't see him do that very often. You know, I can relate to Paul. I don't share a lot of stories about myself. I don't, I mean, I kind of hide sometimes behind God's word and and I don't let you in as much. And Paul's the same way, but right here, he's being very raw. He's being very transparent. He's showing you some of his struggles and some of his weaknesses. It's an illustration for us today. And for many of us, I hope all of us, it's relatable. And it's highly, we can say, man, I I think I get Paul and I get this struggle. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I want to do. Like, I'm just such a wretched man. I think we can relate to it. How many of us still sin even after Jesus has saved us? I mean, I'm not the only one, right? But I know people, I know people that would raise their hand with no problem. It's because what I just asked is not what Paul's specifically getting at. He's not getting at just, hey, we're sinners and we're Christians. There's something more. These people that I know, they call themselves Christians. They attend church once in a while and they do the various things, but they have no problem with their sin. Do you know people like that? They explain it away. They make arguments that the Bible doesn't say what they're doing is a sin or it's not that big a deal. Sometimes they celebrate it. Sometimes they encourage others and other Christians even to engage in it with them. Maybe it makes them feel better about that. The problem is they love their sin. They don't hate their sin. They don't care about their sin they're totally okay with it. I wonder when you look at the fruit of that person's life, if really it's fair that they even call themselves a Christian. When they don't hate their sin like God hates sin. So no, I don't think they should be calling themselves Christians, and I don't think the question I originally asked is the question. So let's try this again. Let's go back to that original question. How many of you still sin even after Jesus has saved you and you hate it? That's it, isn't it? That's what Paul is getting at. He hates it. You can just sort of hear the battle of his soul, can't you? 
You know, I imagine he's, he's working through uh, somebody transcribing this, or maybe he's writing themselves, and he's going along, and he's saying, look, this is what sin is, and this is how the law works, and this is how the law is showing my, my sin, and, and then all of a sudden there's this pause. He's like, man, this is the problem. And all of a sudden he just pours out his soul here, and it's, it's raw. You can feel the pain when he cries, what a wretched man that I am in verse 24. Can't you? Can't you just relate? Paul's argument from the very beginning of chapter 6, he's been talking about the need for Jesus, and he gets to chapter 6 and he starts arguing about how a saved person relates to sin. And that argument falls within the bigger argument that the righteous shall live by faith, Romans 1.17. So this past two chapters have been building into the bigger argument, but building up to the remarkable crescendo when he declares there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. It's a buildup to that. And like when you're reading Job and you want to race through all the nincompoops that are talking to Job so you can hear from God, we want to race through this. We want to get to that verse in chapter 8, but let's not be too quick to pass what we have here in verses 14 through 25. There is an encouraging word here. Now, what is not encouraging, what I'm not saying should be the encouraging part, is that as Christians, we still sin. That, that's not the part that I'm getting at. You're going to struggle with sin on this side of eternity. But what is encouraging, to me at least, is if the Apostle Paul had struggles with sin as a Christian, as a serious theological thinker, as one who'd given his life even to be shipwrecked and stoned and, and arrested. This guy is serious about Jesus, and if he's still having problems with sin, then maybe there's hope for the rest of us. I find that encouraging. I hope you do too. There's also encouragement here because Paul gives us some answers to some of the same problems we have today, to some of the same wrestles we have as we think through this and say, what a wretched man is Brian. Paul helps us. So therefore, I'd like us to look a little bit more closely at what Paul's written and, and camp out on it, not, not just bypass and get to the, the good stuff in chapter 8. I'd also like us to think about the implications this has for our doctrine and what we believe. And then I think if we do this well, when we get to the end, we should see some help that we can receive from these verses in what Paul is saying. So let's go ahead and take a a, a closer look. Let's dig in a little bit to what's here. So for starters, Paul is not talking about his pre-Christian life, as some will argue, and as some might have been tempted to go, hey, this must have been what it was like before he was a Christian. Like, it's easy for us to overlook sin back then, but oh, now that you're a Christian, we we can't think like this. I don't think that's the case. I'm pretty sure he is still arguing from where he's at as a Christian, because all the words he used when you look at them are present tense. He's arguing in the present tense. And also, for those who might not agree with that argument, would a lost person say what he says in verse 22? Take a look at that. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. What lost person do you know would say that? The Bible makes it clear that no lost person would say that. And someone says, wait a minute, what about verses 24 and 25? Take a look at that. What a wretched man am I who will rescue me from this body of death? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you, if you follow one of those arguments, they'll say this is pointing to his salvation moment. As he's blinded and he's had this whole encounter with Jesus, this is that, but I don't think we can go there if we just keep reading. If we just keep reading, look what it says. Paul continues. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so even if it's pointing back to that moment of his salvation, he's in the same predicament. He's still sinning. He's still struggling. He's still wrestling with sin. But I still don't think that this is about his pre-Christian life. Because we can look at other things he's written. 1 Timothy 1.15, you don't need to go there, I'll just read it for you. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Praise God for that, right? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. He didn't say he was the worst of them. He said, I am the worst. Amy, it's a present tense. He's struggling with sin as a believer. When we think about our own experiences, if we just take a minute and say, is this true to life? Is this what we experience? I think most of us have struggled with sin as a follower of Jesus, I hope most of us have hated that sin and wrestled with that. And so how unreasonable is it if we could experience that as Christians that Paul wouldn't be experiencing that as Christians? The entire point I'm trying to make here is that if Paul could struggle with sin and wrestle with it and hate it and feel that battle and feel that tension, if Paul could, then I believe that we can too. It's okay if you're wrestling with sin and you hate it, that's still a part of the normal Christian life. So he's showing us something that we should, we should probably encounter. It'd be terrible if you were saved, you started sinning, and then you just didn't hate that. That wouldn't be very fruitful or good. He's saying, look, we're going to have this wrestle. The next thing I think we should see is his use of the word flesh. Because this sometimes causes us to be a little confused. I don't want that. He says it in verse 25, he says, serving with his mind, but sinning with his flesh. Verse 14, he said, the law is spiritual, but I am in the flesh. Verse 18, I know nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. The Greek word he's using, which is helpful for us here, is sarks. It's one of the first Greek words I ever memorized. I don't know why. Sarks, it's an easy one, flesh. Okay, it means the skin and the muscle and the stuff that hangs on our bones. But it also can mean our entire physical body, which would also include bones. Or it can mean being brought to life in some way or being alive. And it gets used in those ways all throughout the Bible, but Paul tends to use it specifically as a picture of being in the world or being corrupted or being worldly. So what he's not saying, and this is where we could maybe read this and get a little confused, he's not saying the tangible body is bad, but the intangible parts of us are good. You know, my physical body's bad, but my mind, you know, is great. He's not saying it in that way. Okay, that's actually Gnosticism. Gnosticism teaches that the physical things of the world are evil, but the spiritual unseen things of the world are Good, and you know who one of the champion arguers against Gnosticism is? Paul, in other letters. So he's not arguing for Gnosticism. 
He's not saying the physical world is bad, but the spiritual world and the mystical world is somehow good. That's not even biblical. What he is saying is that both the tangible parts of who he is and the intangible parts are corrupted by the worldly ways. They're corrupted. They're sinful. The tangible and the intangible that are in the world have a problem. The tangible and the intangible that are out of the world or have been redeemed by God and now have their citizenship in the kingdom of God are totally different. He's contrasting, he's creating a word picture here using that Greek word sarks or flesh. And so when we see that word in Paul's use most of the time, we need to recognize it's a contrast. However, in fact, let me show you really quick before I go to the however. If you just look with me in Romans 8, 3 through 9, understanding what I just shared, we can put this to practice here. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the sarks, flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the sarks. This is where we see this word come up a lot. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful sarks, flesh, as a sin offering. In order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Now, I mean, you're seeing here, I'll just keep... Now, the mind set on the sarks is death, but the mind set of the spirit is life and peace. The mind set... Uh, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the sarks cannot please God. You, however, are not in the sarks, the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. So you see the contrast. He wasn't saying you're not in the body, you're having an out-of-body experience. He's saying, he's saying there's a contrast between worldly, sinful, and uh, redeemed. And that's the idea of where he is going. Um, but it's important that we remember that words have a range of meaning. Okay, what I don't want you to do is get excited about this new word I've just taught you, Sarks, or maybe you, you've known it. And then every time you see the word flesh, assume it means that one thing. Words have a range of meaning in, in all languages, English too. So this particular word, if you only assume it means that, is going to be really problematic when you come across like John 1.14 that says the word became sarks and dwelt among us. You might be thinking, well, the, world be- the word God became corrupted and sinful. And that's not the case. So let us remember words have a big range of meaning and we need to use context or the author or various things. But Paul's use of sarks is usually this. Why in the world this rabbit trail? How in the world are we going down this nerdy road and why? Here's why. Because Paul is not telling us that his physical body is sinning, but his thoughts and his will are not sinful. Now, maybe many of you in here don't have that problem. You recognize that your mind can take you to sinful places, but there are plenty of people that treat sin like you might treat some kind of a physical addiction. Only my body has the problem, but my mind is holy. But that's not what Paul's saying. And here's the, the reason for this entire long, nerdy journey in a word study. Paul is saying all of him is sinful. 
all of him is in the flesh. His thoughts, his desires, he wrestles with this in his desires, his physical body, all of him has a sin problem. Someone says, well, what about verse 25 where he says, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. You see how we could easily misread that? I think what he's actually trying to say and what, he, what his point is, is my desire is, my intentions, that's where he's using this mind, are to serve God. You can relate with that. I, I think I can relate to that. I, every day I get up with the intentions to serve God. But he goes on and says, but I still stumble with sin. How many of you can relate to that? I had the best intentions to serve the Lord, and whoops, I still sinned. That's what he's, he's getting at. We can relate to a statement like that, can't we? We can understand that even the best intentions don't always work out the way that best honor God because sin gets in the way. We've been joking around at my house a lot that we say, well, it's the thought that counts. We all say that, right? We don't really believe that, nor is that even really true. Well, I thought I wouldn't have an affair. It's the thought that counts. I thought I wouldn't you know, yell at my kids and kick the dog. It's the thought that counts. No, I can have the best intentions, but I can still stumble with sin. That's what he's saying. In Ephesians 4, he instructs Christians in a, in a more uh, vibrant picture. He says, the Christian needs to take off the old self like a garment and put on the holiness of God and put on this new self. There's a, a, a process of stripping away what's not good and putting on what is good. It's a contrast. And finally, I want us to see that it's a process. This whole thing that he's talking about is showing us it's a process, and it's not an easy one. Paul is struggling with the process of sanctification, of the Holy Spirit making him uh, holy and working through it. It's a battle, and some days he's going to do a little better than other days, and some days he's really going to struggle. We can relate to that, can't we? He probably didn't have this struggle before he was saved. You probably didn't have this struggle before you were saved. When you were living comfortably and resting comfortably and, and fitting in well in the sarks, the fl- when you were in that, it wasn't a problem because there was no contrast. It was only when the contrast came that the battle began. Now you desire to live holy. Now you're, you're being conformed to Christ's ways. Now you're living in accordance with obedience to God, living in the ways he's called. And now we have the contrast. Now the battle really begins. And people say, well, wait a second. He was a Pharisee. He was trying to live the law. You're right. He was trying to live the law by works, which actually is in the Sarks. I'm going to do it in the work of my flesh. That's the worldly way. That's the corrupted way. I can do it without God. Is that not what it is when we try to work our way into holiness? We call that self-righteousness. We don't have self-righteousness. We have what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness. Not because it's from another planet, but because it's completely from outside of creation altogether. It's from God. We have God's righteousness. None of our own, but only what God gives. When we're in the works and when we're trying to do it ourselves, we're always in the sarks. You're never going to forget this word now, are you? We're in the flesh. It's corrupted. But when we're saved, we now have the battle. What a beautiful picture that we have here in the text. Christians still 
struggle with sin even as Jesus is sanctifying us. But the beauty, which we get to see next week and which we see in 8.1, is that now we're not condemned by the sin. The battle used to be over, death. But now the battle is won because we're justified in Christ, but there's still a process in which we are growing into holiness, that we are learning to hate our sin as God hates sin. It's a process. It's a, it's a struggle. And hopefully, and thank God indeed, and hopefully we are learning more and more and more to hate our sin more and more and more and realize the magnitude of the level of how much God hates sin, that he would put his own son on the cross, put our sin on his son, and then crush his son to death. That's how much God hates sin and praise the Lord that he was raised again to new life, that not only would we die in Christ, we'd be raised and saved in Christ. Now, believe it or not, there are some, and I've had this really weird study this week because of this. I ended up, man, the internet will do messed up things to you. You just don't think there are people out there that would do some of the things they do. I literally found multiple arguments with a very simple Google search of people who claim that they are more holy than Paul because they don't struggle with sin like Paul struggles with sin. I'm like, is this for real? Must be, yeah. They don't sin anymore is the claim they make. They don't sin. Paul was sinning, but they don't. They're more holy. I thought, how in the world can they make a claim like that? Well, they hold to a, a false doctrine called sinless perfectionism. I hadn't thought much about sinless perfectionism. I will admit, I have not run in those circles. I have not been in those camps. Man, I got a whole lot of surprise. But here's how sinless perfectionism, or the false doctrine of sinless perfectionism works. It comes in a few flavors. Uh, Flavor one, it's like the Baskin-Robbins of 31 flavors here, but flavor one is that once a person is a Christian, they would argue, he is now or should be incapable of sinning because the Holy Spirit dwells in them and they make this argument about this. They can't sin. So if you're you're a Christian, now you can't sin. Or another flavor of sinless perfectionism is that a person can achieve a sinless state in this life and no longer sin just by working at it and working at it eventually, bam, you nailed it. And now you are sinless and perfect. I've not met anybody that... I was reading one person's statement about this. I'm like, holy... Moses, this sounds like pride, which is a sin. Like, it was like, look at me, I'm sinless. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Or here's another flavor of it. There's a version where uh, a person can receive a second work of grace from the Holy Spirit, and that work, that gift of the Spirit is, they now no longer sin, they're perfect. The claims basically all go like this. God would not command us to do something we are physically incapable of. Therefore, it's possible and we should be sinless. And some even claim, they go so far, as to claim that if you still sin at all, you are not a true Christian. You should have concern there, which I guess I'm out and I don't know anybody who's in. That's the argument. Um, I just want to say it's a gross misunderstanding of sin and grace and a gross misunderstanding of Jesus And also, it's not biblical. I can give you lots of verses. I'll just give you one for the sake of time. 1 John 1.8. 
says, if we say we have no sin, which I saw lots of people saying that, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's just one verse to speak against. I'm going to move on. I don't want to get stuck in there, but I want you to recognize that this is what can come of reading this in this way, and I think seeing Paul's issue should argue against that thinking and should help us to realize that as Christians, we're still going to sin. Now, this also shows us something about the doctrine of sanctification. Sanctification is the process, I'm going to read these definitions, the process of declaring something holy, but I want you to note the word process. Another uh, theologian defines sanctification as the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. Again, the mention of process. I think the agony that we're seeing in Paul is showing us the process. It wasn't an instantaneous thing for Paul. He was learning and growing and becoming more disgusted by his sin over time and more enamored with Jesus, worshiping him more and more, serving him more and more. I think that's what's supposed to happen for us. This is a picture of what should be happening for us. This is the battle we should be wrestling with should be confessing this to our brothers and sisters in Christ, should be thinking about this in our worship and in our service and and praising God like Paul's doing. Because your sanctification is God's will for your life. Man, people sit down in my office, I just want to know God's will for my life. Do you want to know God's, who wants to know God's will for your life? Okay, I'm going to tell you, because God told us. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is God's will. Oh, your sanctification. And then he goes on to explain what that looks like. Staying away from sexual immorality and living in this way and loving in that way. He goes on. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. I'd encourage you to read that chapter. God's will is that we're being sanctified in this process. And let's make sure we remember that sanctification is not our justification. Okay, these are two big words. Sanctification is the process of being made into the image of God, being made holy. Justification is being able to stand before God declared free because Jesus paid for your sins and my sins on the cross. That's our justification. I really like how the New City Catechism summarizes the Bible on this topic. My kids, my family are going through this. This is the, my kids and my whole family are doing the kid answer. But here's the adult answer to question 32. I like how they summarize how the Bible articulates this. The question is, what do justification and sanctification mean? Oh, how about that? That's what we're talking about. Here's the answer. Justification means our declared righteousness before God, made possible by Christ's death and resurrection for us. Sanctification means our gradual growing righteousness, made possible by the Spirit's work, in us. That's what Paul is affirming in verses 24 and 25. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's giving all the credit and all the glory to God. Paul is showing us that the work of Christ for us and the work of Christ in us is transforming us more and more into Christ's image. It's not our work, but it's Jesus working in and for us. And for that, Paul is thankful. And for that, we should be thankful too. Because we were sinners, saved by Jesus when we did not deserve it. 
And for those of you who are saved, profess your faith in Jesus Christ, whose blood has been redeeming you. He is working in you. And it's a continual work where Jesus is mortifying sin in our lives and our attitude towards sin. And we're going to feel the struggle. And we're going to feel the pruning. We're going to feel the heat. We're going to feel the difficulty as we learn to hate our sin more and more. And hopefully, the power of God working in you, based on what Jesus has done for you and the Holy Spirit working in you, would cause us to push away from sarks, sin, and push toward God, his holiness, and all that he has in store for us. What should that look like in our life? Like, what are some ways that we can welcome sanctification in our life? Most of us are way too comfortable with life. We don't like any kind of struggle. We don't like any kind of pain. I'm lazy. Some of you are probably lazy. Life feels best with our feet up, binge watching stuff. Maybe someone bringing our food to us. So anything that feels difficult for us, we tend to want to push away from. So what's the question really? What should sanctification look like? Maybe it does look like this in your life, but for a lot of us, we could probably welcome this into our life a little more. What should it look like? Here's what I think this text should speak to us today, and here's what I think I'm taking from this. Maybe you will too. Paul shows us that we should be thankful. Right? So if you go around that table at Thanksgiving, if that's one of your traditions and it gets there, and someone says, what are you thankful for? This is what I think you should say. Right? It's what Paul says. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Well, how come? Because I'm a wretch. They're like, well, that's kind of a downer. But that's what we should do. Thankfulness should be coming through us because of what he's doing. And it comes in a lot of forms. It comes in many, many forms. So rather than making demands of God while he's sanctifying you, ah, get me out of this. Ah, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? When are you going to do that? What about this? Why does this feel this way? Instead of making demands of God in your difficulty and struggle, why not ask God, what are you teaching me in this, Lord? Give me the strength and the power to learn now. Let me not waste this sanctifying opportunity that you've given me, and let me be thankful for this challenge. Sometimes you're dealing with sin. It's not always that you're dealing with sin. But let me be thankful in this difficulty because you're using this, the Holy Spirit is using this process to shape me into the likeness of your son. Sometimes we don't see our growth. I talk with many of you and like, I, I don't even know. And I go, wait a second, let's look back a year ago. Let's go back one year ago or maybe two years ago. Were you still struggling with the same sin? If the answer is yes, well, maybe you're not welcoming sanctification into your life. But if the answer is, well, no, this has happened. Okay, God's working on you. Are you doing better now than you were a year ago in this way and that way with God? Maybe you say, well, I lost my job. Yeah, but are you more thankful or are you angry? Are you growing in the Lord or are you not? Are you holding on to Jesus more today than you were a year ago? That's growth. Hard part is it's slow and gradual. You know the old proverb, an oak grows slow. You don't see it from day to day, but you see it over the course of time. So look back a year or two and see how you're doing. If you're not seeing any growth, then I want to encourage you to open up yourself to God and say, okay, God, I've been pushing away from sanctification, but I want to be thankful and I want to welcome the opportunity and I want to see if you might grow me this year so when I look back to this time 
A year from now, I can say, wow, look what God did to grow me. Second thing I think we should remember is that others are also being sanctified. You're not the only one that God is sanctifying. You're not the only one that is going through a process. Our brothers and sisters are going through a process too. So let's be a little slower to judge them. Let's recognize that God might be working on them in some difficult seasons. If Paul had this problem, our brothers and sisters probably have the problem just like we have the problem. So let us be gracious when others sin, but let us also remember to pray for them and walk alongside them and share the gospel with them and help them to experience a sanctifying process in life. And if they're pushing away from some sanctification, remember you've probably all had seasons like that too. And let's encourage them and nudge them closer to God and show them the kind of grace and love that we would like to be shown. Third, I think we should commit to and prioritize the sanctification process in our lives. That doesn't sound fun. I don't see that in a lot of church growth movement books. But I think it's true. I think we should make sanctification, growing in the holiness of God with the Lord, a priority in our life. What does that mean? You need to make a decision that you want to grow in Christ, even if it's hard. We saw baptism last week. We asked, do you commit this day to following Jesus no matter the cost? That's what we're talking about. Yep, it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's going to be easy. Sometimes I'm going to celebrate. Sometimes I'm going to weep. Oh, what a wretched man am I. But praise be to the Lord. This is a process we have to make a decision to welcome in our lives. And I hope we can make that decision to welcome it in the church. I would suggest make some of those decisions before you're faced with having to make those decisions. Make the commitment so that you're not tempted to go the other way. Take, for example, Jesus when he went out into the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan. Do you think, it's purely speculation, but let's just go through this a little bit. Do you think he had made the decision that he would stay true and follow God before he went into the wilderness? I think he did. Which means when Satan came, the decision was already made. That makes dealing with temptation and dealing with sin a whole heap ton easier. For example, some people decide if they're going to come to church on Sunday morning a half an hour before church starts on Sunday morning, just in case there's something better going on or because there's this or because there's that. If you make the decision to make it a commitment, then you won't be among Americans who have what we now call good attendance as one Sunday a month. You, you won't have that problem. You won't have the temptations. You won't have the sin battles on Sunday morning because you've already made a decision. And the same is true for your worship, for your quiet time with God, for your prayer life, for your discipleship with your kids with your giving, with your work ethic, with everything else you do. Make the decision before you have to face the temptation and you won't have as many problems and the sanctification process will be better for you. So my encouragement is make sanctification a priority in your life and you will grow more and more and more over time as the Holy Spirit is working in you because you've opened yourself up to those opportunities in the Lord. And then finally, my last, my last uh, application for us is we need to keep moving forward with Jesus. Not pressing into our own strengths, not white-knuckling it, not hitting the brakes, but saying, you know what? One step in front of the other on the path that God has put before me, trusting him, 
We need to be willing to say, I'm going to press in. Sometimes we say lean in. I'm going to take a step. I'm going to keep moving through the difficult times. And I'm not going to camp out in the comfortable times. I'm just going to keep journeying closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to my Savior. Day in and day out. Because if you're saved, it's because Jesus saved you. Jesus is calling you. Jesus is sanctifying you. Jesus is doing the work. So let's not push away from him. Let's move towards him. I hope at a quickness. I hope with a pace that's like running, but I recognize most of us can barely get one baby step ahead. But even if all you can do is that one little tiny step, let's just ask the Lord to give us the strength for that one step and be okay with that and let's encourage our brothers and sisters with those steps because your brothers and sisters might be having the same argument internal internally in the same battle that paul's having would you not want to help paul would paul not want you to help your brothers and sisters would paul not want us Inspired by God, therefore would God not want us to hate our sin like God hates sin? Let's press into that. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that, that even Paul had struggles. And I know that David had struggles and he was a man after your own heart. I know that we see men and women in the Bible who struggled and yet you forgive, yet you love, yet you call you sent your son to die on a cross under the weight of our sin or because you love us. And so I'm just asking, Lord, just humbly asking that you would help us take steps closer to you today, that we would welcome sanctification, that we'd recognize we're going to say, I'm doing what I don't want to do and I'm not doing what I want to do and I hate what I'm doing over here when I sin and I want to do this. Lord, we want to have the best intentions, and we're asking that you would empower us to, to follow through on those the best we can so that day after day we're doing a little better each day, sinning less, hating our sin more, and drawing closer and closer to you, Lord, growing in our sanctification. And Lord, thank you that we know there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that we are free, but this is an opportunity for us to grow in that freedom, to know you more and to love you more, and to worship you more. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to have you as our guest. For more information, visit redeeminglifeutah.org.